So we are back on the Benjuma with Gorgs. It is episode 19 on the Madiba's radio. Uh, so today we have uh, four interviews uh, ranging from cricket to netball and lastly rugby. So after the break, we hear what the Proteus head coach Mark Palcher has to say following their whitewash uh, series loss to England, then followed by Charles Langefeld, the Proteus bowling coach, with a preview of the ODIs against England. So do stay tuned on Madiba's radio, the best youth station in the Bay. Hi, I'm Figile Mbalula, commonly known as uh, Razmatas Mbawizi Fligile on Flick. You are listening to Madiba's radio. Keep rocking the Metro Nana. Let's go. You're listening to Madiba's radio, opening up the waves for you to be heard. All right, uh, Mark, uh, what do you possibly take out of this series? Uh, obviously, this is a whitewash loss. Are there any positives uh, that you've possibly taken out of this? Yeah, I think so. Um, a guy like George Linder has put him in a transfer for his country, and I thought he he played really nicely. Um, you know, Puff had a good series of the bats. Um, I think Rusty had a decent series of the bats as well. He's some good knocks today. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guys, I think, are difficult to say when we're playing against a good. Um, Batting lineup like that, our bowlers really tested, especially today. Uh, but yeah, there were one or two in, in the series. Um, it's always difficult to, to look at positives when you lose 3 0, but I think um, those would be the positives uh, going forward. How much of the of the performance uh, comes from rustiness, and to what degree was it clear that the Proteus lost to a better side? Yeah, I'd say a bit of rustiness. We didn't have the ideal preparation, um, we had to cancel. Sort of three of our, our warm-up games. Um, but in saying that, I thought we we did what we could, um, you know, with regards to our training and all that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a bit of rustiness, but you know, we, we're not looking for excuses. We got a man up, and then we got to face face the facts that we lost three 0 um, And uh, we we've got a determined group of guys there who, who want to learn and want to learn quickly and, and want to compete for the world's best. And and that's the positive I can take out of dressing room at the moment. A message from Al, uh, Telford. 
Uh, bad luck, Mark. Uh, what is the selection target at the moment in terms of selection of African players? Is it still two or has it changed to three African players uh, in one game? The only thing I can say is in a transformation, transformation meeting um, and they were given, uh, they were given a sort of a whole outline of, of what the, the rules and regulations were um, and that's what we got to abide by. Um, I don't know if that's been taken with the minister yet. It's difficult for me to, to answer that. I think someone uh, who's, who's above me needs to answer those questions. Because you have played three black Africans in every game. Yes, I have. Okay, so that's that's uh, but that's tactics, not not policy. I think if you look at the, the three black Africans, they they're very good cricket players. So um, I don't know where 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 people are going with this. Um, it's like I said, it's not up to me to answer these. I, I got to select a, a team that I believe can do a job on the day, and I do select that team with, along with um, Victor and and with Eno. A question from for those. Uh, Mark, you mentioned uh, some areas that uh, the team was exposed. Uh, can you elaborate uh, further on those areas? Well, I think we, we didn't have our all-rounders um, due to various reasons. Um, so we lacked a sick bowler. Uh, you know, you can't hide behind that sometimes, in, especially in T20 cricket. You, you get a bowler who goes. Unfortunately, it happens in, in most games. And most teams, uh, especially a, a team like England, they'll tend to to fancy a particular bowler on one night um, and you need a bit of cover for that particular individual and we haven't been able to do that because uh, we haven't had the selection of, of our all-rounders. Um, so that put a bit of a damper on, on our situation also, you know, maybe having a left-hander um, in the top six uh, to uh, sort of in the middle order, um, especially with a leg spinner like Rashid who turns ball into a left-hander. I think it's, it showed in, in the England batting lineup um, how valuable that can be as well. So, a couple of things that we got exposed on, some of them unfortunate because it, it, was, it was out of our control, um, but certainly something that we can look, uh, look to correct in the future. A question from Lloyd. Mark, you'd know uh, better than most uh, the South Africans' uh, passion for South African cricket. What message would you give the fans uh, regarding their series loss against England? It's a difficult one. I understand that the, the South African public want us to win, um, and we want to win as well. Um, it's difficult to apologise when when you go out there and you do your best, and you, you come up against opposition that are superior to you. Um, and I do think that England are a step ahead of not only us, but quite a few different teams in the world cricket at the moment. Um, I think everyone's talking about that as well. Uh, my message to a lot of people will be that we are still very much trying. We, we, we want to win and we'll be putting a lot of hard work behind the scenes because um, we understand that we need to get back to to be a good force in, in world cricket. Uh, is a, a question from uh, Kanyiso. Hard luck on the result. Uh, looking at England's previous uh, se uh, series uh, against England, what will you be looking at uh, going forward? Uh, would you perhaps be looking to experiment? We have been experimenting. We have been, we've been using the resources that we've had. Um, as I said, we've had a couple of unfortunate uh, circumstances that were thrown um, into our squad at, at, at this particular stage, um, which forced our hand to play maybe combinations that we knew maybe weren't correct, uh, um, but we, we had to do it. Um, so it's, it's not experimenting at all. Uh, I think we want to get into a situation where we are pretty solid on, on a, a T20 side and squad. Um, you know, hopefully we can have everyone available for selection in our next T20 um, competition that we do play.
question uh, from Shafiq. How much of an influence on performance in this series have you uh, have you had on selecting uh, selection for the ODIs? Or will you look at the last played series uh, since you're sticking to consistency in the squad? Um, obviously, with the likes of Chris Morris and 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 um, and Imran Tahir being left out. Um, it is quite difficult because the last ODIs were ages ago. Um, but we did select a, a squad based on 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 those performances. Um, so you'll probably see a, a few of the guys coming back into the one-day squad. Um, you know, it was, we had some good success against Australia, so there's no reason why, you know, if there's no cricket that's been played by any of these individuals, that, that we need to change anything. I think, um, you know, we need to give them the first bite of the cherry once again. Uh, there are a couple of uh, other faces that have maybe rested that will be in, in that one-day squad as well, which will be up for, for selection. So I think we've got enough depth um, and a lot of youth as well. Um, to, to be able to select from. Um, so, yeah, it's difficult to to sort of select a squad when there hasn't been much cricket. You've got to go on, on past performances um, and against Australia where we, where we did win 3-0. Three three now, in terms of um, uh, tactics, do you think England uh, were smarter ahead of the series? And uh, with what uh, with what you've seen uh, from uh, Owen Morgan and his uh, leading analyst? I do think they were smart. Um, as I said, when I had that conversation, uh, after that conversation, we were throwing a couple of curveballs. Um, as I said, you know, a smart decision would be to play six bowlers, um, but the balance of the side, unfortunately, wouldn't have worked out then. So, I, on the on the field in particular, um, I like to give the senior or, or the leader core group of guys uh, the opportunity to make decisions on the field, um, and and they made those decisions. You know, we we continuously talk about smart decisions and, and, and what we felt we did right uh, and what we felt, felt we could do better. Um, and we will continuously do that because that's what we want to do. We want to keep growing. Um, I think the two games, maybe not tonight, but I think the two games, first of all, the one in Cape Town, the first game, and, and certainly the second game as well, um, I think we were smart. We just didn't play the big moments that well. Um, and if you look at the games, and, and we've we've got the, the sort of... Uh, job of, of analyzing games and with all video analysis, all that type of stuff, it, it really came down to one or two overs in both those games that, that cost us. And that's just big moments um, that we didn't play um, as well as what England did and, and hence the results. So the first two games were a lot tighter than I, than, than probably people realize. Um, this game, not so much. I think we did just execute early enough for the long period of time today with the ball. I thought we had enough runs. Um, but once again, if you don't execute and you give a couple of feeds away, I think... Um, against a side like England, they are a power side and they're going to really punish you, which is exactly what happened tonight. Follow-up question on that. Uh, England has a set uh, set the benchmark in the T20s. How far off do you think uh, the squad is uh, from in the England counterparts? Um, yeah, I think we... Well, I don't know how, how you want me to say it, how far. Um, I think uh, we got a, we got a way to go. I think if you look at this England team, um, you know, when they got together, probably 2017, they got together... Um, and they were also probably you know, asking a lot of questions of themselves, trying to find a, a balance um, that they felt was going to sort of suit their style of play. I think we're in that space at the moment as well. These guys have got together. They've won a World Cup, so they're oozing with confidence. Um, and we see, we can see that in the way that they play. So I think their players are in their positions that they're playing are probably a lot more developed than what our players are. Our job is to try and get those guys, our guys in our team, feeling like, like these guys are. Um, and that's the reason why we're having our chats all the time and, and trying to you know, get, get the inexperienced experience as possible um, and get the confidence levels up and also the trust that you know, we, we, we're heading in the right direction. 
days like today are very tough um, because we, we haven't won. Um, but I think, you know, we, we'll go back and we'll try and encourage the guys that they need to trust the, the bigger picture and where we want to go. Um, and I, I do believe that there is a buy-in uh, in the dressing room with that. A couple of hard lessons are being, are being learned at the moment, but um, you know, if we stick to our guns, we're certainly not going to quit. we be here for the long How's it, Charles? Um, just a, just a, a take on, on, on the bowlers in terms of when they came back from lockdown, you know what? Obviously, they haven't played for eight months, and you know what shape were they in, and how how long do you think it's going to take for them to to find their full rhythms? Yeah, and I was saying, I think that most of the guys have been playing four day cricket, so they've been bowling. Um, they haven't played a lot of T Twenty games because of the COVID. We obviously missed out on our two warm up games um, in the T T Twenty series. Um, I think it's just match fitness playing the certain format. You know, T20 is a lot different from four-day cricket. So, in saying that, it's, it's always we all professionals. We try and speed up that process, but it's difficult to get that to match intensity because you just have to practice. As we would like to play the two warm-up games. So, 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 Shaw, would you say that um, you know the? When, what what we saw in the T20 series and, and when it went wrong was was the lack of execution was due to you know just not having that opportunity to to guard there and, and you know like and just pin your yorkers or your, and get your cutters going for you know for a long period of time and, and then it and then it just and then it'll come back. Yeah, that, it, it's it purely comes down to execution. I always say it's how you execute when you're under pressure. Um, and you can train as much as you want in the nets, but it's not the same intensity as in the game, for instance. Um, so it just purely comes to identifying the moment, the big moment in the game, and being able to stay calm in it. And then Michelle, good afternoon. It's tough afternoon. coming back from lockdown, um, but I think even tougher when it comes to younger players. How do you manage someone like Lucius Kapamlo, who everyone has said has great potential, but obviously comes unstuck against a top team like England? Yeah, I guess it's, it's been hard in Luto. I think um, he hasn't played. He played in the last game against in Potsdam. So he hasn't played any 40 crickets, any competitive cricket. So it was hard on him. And you knew with the top team, like I think, always going to target him. But you know, you need to speak to him analyze his own game and, you know, try and calm him down in the situation. Um, we try to prepare him as well as we could, but obviously we all saw that, like, in the game, it's hard when you put under pressure, especially against a top-quality team like England. Hi, Shal. Uh, just wondering what the team and, and maybe even yourself personally make of England's uh, plan to use certain kinds of coded symbols and they're holding up uh, numbers on the dressing room door and it's sort of a, a communication plan. Uh, what do you think of that? And have you got anything crafty like that up your sleeve? Yeah, no, it's just uh, in the last game we saw it, but I think the media showed it and we didn't know they were using it. Uh, I think a guy like Corey Fonsell used to use it when he was playing, at, when he was coaching at the night. Uh, maybe, if, I don't know how it works. So, it's maybe something we can look into. Uh, maybe it could be when you go to death bowling or when you start bowling certain balls to certain batsmen. I'm not sure what it's, what it's about. Afternoon, Charles, everyone. 
Um, Charles, just to go back to Luto Sipamla, um, you mentioned how hard it was um, for him. I mean, he didn't play any cricket since March and obviously not an ideal situation. And, and you said you guys did the sort of preparation work and that with him. But um, it seemed like on the actual field when, when he was put under pressure, there was no one really going to go talk to him. Um, is that something that, that the team has spoken about? I mean, it looked like he was just kind of left on his own, um, you know, with all this pressure on him. Yeah, Ken, it's, it's, it's things that we speak in length. As, as me being personally used to bowling at the back end, you know, so we try and get the team to, to rally around him, to, to support him. And that's a big thing is, is to get one of your senior bowlers or even anyone in the team, one of your senior players, just to pat him and say, OK, forget about that ball. It's all about the next execution and just be clear in your game plans. And it's a thing we speak about a lot. How's it, Charles? Health advice, yeah? Um, can you just talk us through, you know, everybody says, we talk about white ball formats and, and test cricket and, and that the transition is the biggest leap there for bowlers. But can you talk us through some of the technical adjustments that you have to make from going from T20 to, to ODI as a bowler? Yeah, it's, 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 more, it's, it's also a mental thing. It's a technical thing where you release point in four-day cricket, you're just bowling length most of the time. Now, you all of a sudden, you have to incorporate the release point of York because that's a bit different to your normal length. So, uh, it's a fine line and it's just a volume of bowling and being able to try and execute under pressure. So, it's, it's a shift from high intensity, um, being under pressure and be able to execute when you put under pressure. And 4D cricket is probably now, it's not the easiest, harder on the body. But mentally, it's a bit easier than a T20 game. I was wondering, after um, the good performance of someone like George Linder, where do you stand on sort of the, like the ideal bowling attack um, in in T20 cricket and also uh, ODI cricket? Two spinners, three paces, six bowling option. Where's your thinking at? Hi, tennis. I think um, it just we play the conditions. I think you, we saw on. The, in the first game, the ball did turn, uh, Polly did turn, and, and Georgia is, is a tall bowler, so he gets extra bounce, he's quite accurate, uh, and it just gives us another option. We're always looking for all-rounders. I think if you look at the England, they got a few all-rounders, so um, it just makes the competition and the selection options a lot bigger for us going forward. So when you travel and you play in conditions where you got, when you got the option of playing, two spinners, which is great for us. Charles, just on the, if you look at that England batting lineup, and they, they might lose David Milan and all those guys, but and Ben Stokes, but in comes Jofra, I mean, in comes Be, uh, Joe Root and, you know, and Moen Ali. Would, would you say this is possibly the toughest test for a young bowling unit, this, this power-packed England batting lineup? Yes, yes. <laughs> England. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy. They got a well balanced side. Um, they got a lot of experience. These guys have been playing for a few years together as a team, as a unit. Uh, and for young ball, it's I, I see it as, it's a great opportunity um, to test your mental aspect of your game. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna come hard at you. That's how they play. That's how, that's the nature. They play T20 cricket, uh, 50 over cricket. So. 
mentally you need to be strong when you are under pressure you need to be able to execute and they will learn from this i think they um we could see now we need we got work to do with our bowlers and and it was in the first two games two big moments and they won it england won it and we just we didn't execute under pressure and that's what we learned from it and it's being able to to see that big moment and then try and embrace it <laughs> and and show how much will you miss kaji in this in this one day series yeah massive kaji is massive he always strikes with a new ball we speak a lot about being able to take wickets in the first 10 overs and then put shift the pressure onto the to the batting side um but in saying that it's another opportunity for youngster to put up his hand shall two things um the one is if andile pep requires fit would you want him in the side purely for having that uh, extra all-rounder or what kind of combination are you thinking of going with and then the other one is where is junior dala in the pecking order i mean we haven't seen him for a while would you have wanted to play him in the t20s or are you seeing him as more of a one day bowler yeah and dala is is you know to have that if you got six bowlers in your team it gives you another option t20 uh, 50 over cricket has been great for us if you look at his one day record it is is especially he does give you that option bowling at the back end as well so if he is fit we're going to have a look today and and when then we're going to make a judgment on that if he would be able to play on friday um junior junior is purely 50 over bowls hard length you know he's aggressive you got two bounces you got two um white balls so i seem very much part of our 50 over and um obviously uh, we worked on trying to upskill us as well trying to get him to bowl slow ball work on his yorkers that type of thing so i still um we have to sit with the selectors this afternoon and see ways i think he's still very much part of our 50 over team because he gives us that extra pace aggressiveness with a white ball two bumpers Tim Kula from ENCH just on the 4 day versus the T20s um I know Mark said that he he preferred a longer uh, turnaround time but given that players hadn't really been playing for some time um how do you manage that and what would you or what do you prefer um to have obviously more internationals going now in terms of when you said earlier that you you know it's about controlling the volume of the bowling that's there um and does this work for you having the shorter turnaround time or not so that's that's the be- uh international cricket the turnaround is a lot shorter now uh sometimes when we're going to have to travel so we need to be clever so we got our fitness trainer that manages the workloads um but it as i said uh, earlier on it's is being able to have that mix intensity so going from one format which is a four day into a t20 against the uh, the world number 1 or 2 um it does put pressure on you so we try and upskill them in the in the space like normally we'll have five days to prepare them um but as i said the two warm up games put us back but um, i'm not going to make excuses but we we have to deal because we're going to have future tours where we have probably have even a quicker turnaround 
Charles, uh, it seems in general that the, the bowling unit um, has been a bit better in ODIs, more consistent than in T20s lately. Um, is there any sort of specific reason for that that you can think of? Yes, the combination thing is, is, is um, lack of in, uh, experience. If I come to T20 cricket, I think... Um, Obviously, as I said, T20 cricket is more pressurized, is dealing with the pressure situation in that specific uh, over or when you're bowling or when you're put down to the pump. 50 over cricket, it's still high intensity cricket, but it's over a longer period. So batsmen will take their time, try and settle in, it gives time for the bowler also to get rid of them while he's playing in the game. So it's that type of thing. It's, um, it's not... A, a lot difference, but as I said, it's more T20 is high intensity where 50 over you can settle in, you can settle into a rhythm, you can get used to the pitch, that type of thing. So, for you to talk to Mr. So, net kort, let's, I'll only get one bite to ask a few African questions, I'm going to throw, throw it at you, sir. Um, so, I'll net kort, let's go for now. Um, wat, wat sal jy sê, waar het die, die reeks verloor in die T20 reeks? Denk jy dit was onder die covers of denk jy dit was onder die bowlers geweest? En denk jy, jylle moet echter meer agressief wees met die bouwwerk hier en in die, in die 50, 50 um, um, beerte. Die ander vraag het wil vraag, wat sy verlies gaan Kagiso, een van ons die landse beste uh, bowlers wees vir, vir jylle as proteespan? En het laastens, om een leier soos Faf duplicie te verloor, hoe groot van die verlies onder die leierskap gaan sy sy, sy wezigheid wees vir jylle? Ja, possible, yes. You asked me, you had both questions. The first thing that I can answer is, but I'm sure, in the T20 reeks, I think it was maybe two ballbeerten, which was a chance to win the first match in New Zealand. It was a chance to win the first match to win Hendricks. And this can happen with any baller. The second game, it was again a chance. I think it was a good telling on the scoreboard gesit, ek dink ons kon dit defende doek, en dan die derde game, ek dink Engeland het ons outplay in die wedstrijd, ek dink daar was genoeg, so het is nie, ek sê nie as die kolbus, ek sê nie as die baller, is die groot when it came to the big moments in the game, het ons verloor, ja. Dan Faf, ja, Faf is obviously a groot verlies vir ons experience, Maar obviously, ons kyk na die 50-over World Cup en ons moet nou begin te speel, jonge spelers, om hulle experience te gee. Dit is die grootste probleem, ons kon sien, ja, ons is een lack in experience en hy wil spelers genoeg kans gee om internationale krikke te speel voor een groot wereldweker. En die vraag oor Kagiso Bade, die vir die lin nou bykie onderdruk is om op die wendpad te kom, hoeveel van die verlies is het om een senior bowler soos Kagiso Bade te verloor? Ja, dit is groot, ja. Ek denk om Kagiso te skoene vol te staan, is nie baie spelers in die land om dit kan volstaan, maar soos ek sê, dit is een goeie opportunity vir een jonger speler om een kans te kry en sy geleentheid en sy vinger op te steek. Sal ek nie die laatste vraag vir, gaan jylle baie, I'm stating the obvious, maar gaan, is die benadering om baie meer agressief dan te wees in hierdie eendag reps van morgen af? Ja, definitief, ek denk ons agressief met die kool wees, ons gaan agressief met die bal wees, jy is allowed om twee opslagballe te bal, 
twee nieuwe ballen, so jy moet agressief, tegen die Spans, Engeland kan jy nie terug sit, die anders te gaan hulle groot tellings op die baard sit, ek denk met die kolf ook, ons moet agressief, ons moet obviously goed begin, middelpeer het nog steeds die loopie tempie hoog hou, en dan die einde probeer maximize. Alright, so before the break, we had Proteus coaches, or let me say the head coach, Mark Boucher, and bowling coach, Shaw Langefeld. Now we move on to netball. Our next guest hails from Limpopo and currently plays for the Adelaide Thunderbirds in Australia and goal shooter for the national uh, Proteus netball side. So we hear what she has to say about the series against Malawi and about their memorable uh, 2019 World Cup campaign down in England. So do stay tuned. So we are joined by Spa Women's Netball Protes player Lenisa Purgita. Lenisa, welcome to the bench room with Gorgs on Madiba's radio. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Gorgs. Um, it's always an honor to be talking um, to people that want to interview you and give a bit of insight. All right, let me get straight to it, Lenisa. Um, all I know um, about you is that you play netball for Protes women's side. And uh, we're obviously the same age. But other than that, you mind sharing a bit about yourself? Um, no problem. So, I didn't know you were 26. Yes, that's the best age that you can be. Um, so, basically, I've been living in Polokwane in Limpopo for how, 26 years now. Um, been playing netball since the age of eight years old. Um, I started playing, and obviously I've never stopped. I started playing for the Pro in 2014. Um, made my debut against Scotland in Cape Town. And since then I've played two World Cups, one Commonwealth Games, and then playing overseas for about, I don't know, four or five years. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's more the netball side of things then. Obviously my hobbies would include baking, eating, cooking, anything to do with food, going to cafes and drinking great coffees, um, spending time with family, and my favorite animal at this moment is a sloth. I actually yeah. own so many sloth goodies, like a notebook, a notepad, like an, a pen, a little stuffed animal. I have, like, it's just insane. So many little drawings that people drew for me about sloth. So yes, it's my spirit animal, I would say. <laughs> That's nice to know. So, um... <laughs> As you mentioned previously, you've played um, netball for close to 17 years. Uh, coming from humble beginnings in Limpopo, how did you end up playing in the, in the Australian Netball League? Um, how did you eventually end up there from Limpopo? I mean, what happened in between that time? Yeah, so, um, obviously, I've been tall my whole life since I was a baby. So, mm. the people that were at netball tournaments and stuff, they always saw me because I was literally head above the rest. Yeah. Um, then I went to school, okay, in primary school in Westworld. Then I went to um, PHS here in Limpopo until 2011. In 2012, I made the move in my matric year to go to the Westworld Menlo Park in Pretoria. Um, I followed my coach to UJ, played for him a while. Then I moved to um, the University of Pretoria to Turks and since then I've been under the guidance of Jenny van Dijk um, 
helped me a lot during my career with like my shooting averages and pushing me to become better, be, becoming an elite athlete. We played one weekend, the Brutal Fruit. That was the first time I took court with the players. And after that game, it was a Sunday night. I got a call from one of like the selectors, Tani Christine, and she's like, we're pulling you up into the Protea squad. And I'm yeah. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I've just started playing big girl netball. I wasn't even in the first team of Turks. Um, I was still under 21s or benching. Um, because there were so many other Proteas playing mm. for um, Turks and the Jaguars. So yeah, it was quite strange when they said, um, I'm just being pulled up into the team, getting ready for Commonwealth Games that year. And since then, I never looked back. I've always been a part of the team, which I'm so grateful and blessed to be a part of and still going strong. No, that's that's wonderful to hear. So, um, how's life been in, so far for you in Australia thus far, um, compared to life in South Africa? Because obviously you have to go up and down with travel, traveling, playing netball in Australia, and then coming back home with family and stuff. Yeah, so it's been hard in the beginning. Um, at first I went to England. That was the hardest, but at least I had Carla Pretorius with me. Um, then after that, went to play in New Zealand for three years where I was on my own because all the other South Africans were either in England or in Australia. And then last year, I got a call from the Firebirds asking, can I please be a replacement player for one of the players that got injured? And I'm like, of course, anytime. Mm. Went over to Australia um, and then I got a contract from the Thunderbirds in Adelaide with one of my best friends, Shadeen van Amarva, and it's been great. The amount of professionalism they have over there mm. um the people are taking care of you um all the admin that goes on behind the scenes it's really been amazing um playing there the experience you game when you play against the best in the world and just to be able to take it back to south africa to our protea team to the younger players and just help them um improve themselves mm. like also showing them that anything is possible yeah even for a Polokwane, hometown girl, mm. um, that you can like reach whatever you put your mind to. It's ju- it just comes with a lot of hard work. Mm. Now we'll get to we'll get to that motivation, inspirational part later in the show. But uh, let's move on to to this uh, the three uh, match series against against uh, Malawi, which obviously resulted in a whitewash victory for you guys. How has it been for the ladies coming back and um, playing after lockdown, and then afterwards enjoying a well-deserved rest uh, or let me say vacation in Sun City? No, it's been a blessing, really. Um, there are a few new faces in the team, which is great because mm. we need to start, um, how do you say, Boarding making them grow up to play netball, big girl netball. Mm. Um, so it's been a crazy jewel in Sun City. We were next to the pool, we were tanning, mm. um, but the training sessions were hard because we didn't have a lot of time together um, due to the fact that most of the players are overseas and other girls didn't really have the chance to play during the year because of COVID. So it's been good, it's been hard, um, but all in all, we such a close-knit group. We stick together, we're family, we're friends, we're sisters. And I think it's important to have relationships off court, um, to make the relationship on court so much easier, so much better to talk to each other. So going to Sun City, 
for a little holiday slash netball and even beating the Malawi queens, which we all know they are hardcore girls. Yeah. That was really history in the making. Mm, no, that's wonderful to hear. Um, now let's take it back to last year at the World Cup. Uh, please talk us through uh, that ex- experience and then the prize money apparently guys were meant to receive if you receive the semi-final and finals. Just talk us through all that, all that, um, um, what happened last year. Yeah, so I um, went to World Cup, another honor, and the girls again, did, we didn't have a lot of time to train together because mm. again, a few of us were in different teams all across the globe. But once we got there, we really got stuck into the hard work. Um, we were really coached by an amazing, well, by amazing coaches like Norma Plummer and Nicole Kuzak from Australia. They taught us so much in the past four years. Um, they made us believe in ourselves that we need to trust that we can beat the top four teams um, when we get to them. So that happened in the World Cup. First time I played against um, Jamaica, that was a must win. And we, I think, beat them by three goals. Mm. And everyone thought it wasn't possible. But we were just like, well, our coaches believe in us. Mm. Um, the supporters back home, they believe in us. So we're just going to bring it. We're going to, we have nothing to lose. And when we brought it, we actually, um, then is that the Proteas made semifinals where we played against Australia. Yes. And we only lost by two goals. Okay. okay and yeah. that was, I think that is the highlight of my career um, to be able to only lose by two goals. Obviously, we were very upset because we knew we couldn't have won and everyone yeah. was behind us. 100%. Even the other teams, they, they told us, you better beat them. We want you to beat them and mm-hmm. you're able to beat them. So I think um, that was ju- it was just great to have that support system behind us. And after we okay, got fourth in the Netball World Cup, yeah. we got, yes, paid a, a large sum beautiful of money. salary. Yes. Um, so, so thankful for that. It just, mm. it showed that they really believed in us and mm. we weren't supposed to get that much. We were only supposed to get a, a little bit, like a little less, mm. but they just said, they, um, we impressed them so much. They wanted to give us everything mm. that they could basically, mm. um, or were able to. So it just shows you, um, with a little belief from the people back home, it makes a massive difference. Mm. And now, now moving on to um, 2023 World Cup. South Africa is apparently on course to host the 2023 World, uh, Women's uh, Netball World Cup. What would that mean for Netball South Africa and uh, women's sports participation in general in South Africa? Um, it's a great opportunity for us to empower women to not just get out there to play netball, but to do any types of sport. Yeah. Um, again, we put our mind to it anything is possible and I think it's so great that we got we won the bid to host the 2023 World Cup because Mm. South Africa is such a beautiful country and we do want to show it off to the rest of the world Um, I think economically wise as well it's going to bring in a lot of revenue to help us become more professional in Nepal Mm. I think Nepal is the biggest women's sport in the world and showcase that in South Africa as well. Um, 
it's not just about rugby, it's not just about cricket or soccer, it's also about netball. And mm. if we can show them that, like the government, everyone is behind us and they're supporting us with the World Cup, it gives hope mm. to the little girls um, that want to play netball one day. Mm. But I uh, think it was, it's still a great opportunity for us to host the netball. World Cup in 2023 in Cape Town, even a brilliant place to host it. 100%. And we're looking for simply the countries like Australia, New Zealand, England, Jamaica, they have no clue what a South African crowd is. Mm, like, they don't know what Wuzelas are, they mm. don't know what yelling and chanting. And so I think they're in for a big surprise. Mm. And obviously, we've got the advantage because we are used to that. Um, so I just say bring it on. We we're going to be ready for them. No, I mean all the best for you guys. I mean it's still another um, three three years and a bit. So now moving on to the next question. This could be a, a personal question uh, for you. What's your take on equal pay for male and female athletes of the same sport, or pay increase for minor sporting codes such as uh, netball? So I think I believe in equality. I believe that we train not just netball in general um all the women's sport in south africa mm. we all train just as hard if not harder because um biologically and everything yes but i just believe if we put in the same amount of work if we are able to do two jobs and not just do sport but we still get to um play for our country we deserve to be paid equally mm. um and it's all about people don't want to give it a chance um they just think it's women's sport it's going to be soft and girly which i can 100 percent tell you it is not mm. like if people watch the malawi series um they oh, would I'll see it's it, yeah. a very hard game mm. um there's a lot of contact in that game very physical mm. um and i mean we also get bruises we also it's also mentally tough and emotionally tough on us but if we can do it, plus juggling jobs, plus taking care of kids, for example, I think we deserve an equal pay, mm. same as men in South Africa. Now, um, following up to that, my, that's uh, my last question. Could that be the reason why for the move, moving overseas, or many athletes from different sporting codes moving abroad due to the um, superior salaries abroad? Yes, definitely. Um, it gives us a chance to feel what it feels like to be professional in another country where mm. they are treated almost equally as the male. I still don't think it's equal um, all over the world, but it's already better in other countries than it is mm. over here. But I have to say, Netball South Africa is really, really working hard to make Netball in South Africa a very professional sport, getting us uh, or paying us per month um, just a wage that we can use to go to the physios, to massage, for gyms. So we are trying trying really hard, but it is the truth that we do go overseas because we do get paid a lot more than we would here in South Africa. Mm. Uh, Lenise, a second last question. Um, as a well-known netball player worldwide, what message of inspiration or motivation would you give aspiring young netball players around the world? Um, my advice to them is I don't believe in talent I believe in hard work so it doesn't matter what talent you are if 
you're not going to use it by working hard and going the extra mile you will not get anywhere mm. so talent a uh, hard work beats talent any day Honestly, yeah. and also it doesn't matter where you come from if it's from Polokwane or Pretoria or Cape Town people are watching you so if you think they are not they are it happened to me it is i am basically living proof and there's also Kanisa who's from Zanin Rumai who's from Polokwane who's also in the Pretoria team so mm. it can happen to anyone so mm. keep working hard keep doing your best and you will reap the rewards <laughs> all right uh, before we let you go um Will, who will you be um, playing for next year? Still the Thunderbirds or moving on to another team? Yeah, so both myself and Shadeen will be going back to the Adelaide Thunderbirds next year, yeah. end of January, begin Feb. Um, and then we'll find a few other South Africans playing against us. 100%. Um, Lisa, thanks so much uh, for joining us on the bench room on Madiba's radio. Uh, well done with uh, what you have achieved thus far and uh, continue to ins- inspire many young girls out there. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Anytime. All right, so that was Lenisa Porchita, a protest netball player and current Adelaide Thunderbirds player down in Australia. Next, and our final guest on today's show, we have Chris Smith, former Marty's player and current Bulls Flav. You may remember they recently won the Vodacom Super Rugby Unlocked competition. So we will hear about his journey from Sachs High School to playing for the Bulls up next on the bench warmer. So do stay tuned after the break. from the most hopeless situation in the history of Springbok rugby. Well, he was my best older playing for that day. <laughs> no, I... He, he was playing, I think, obviously, you know, Springbok for South Africa. Um, I think if you talk to him, he... I don't know, do you know the story about the jerseys? Of the... Um, on the back of your number, you had to have uh, family members, you know, you can give him photos of family members. He only had photos of himself. <laughs> because he didn't have anybody else. And they say, why are you doing this? And he says, he's got nobody, his brother died. You know, his mom died there, his father, he doesn't have a photo. So, he doesn't play for one thing, he's just got massive heart, massive heart. One. So we are joined by Chris Smith, 
the a fly off for the Bulls. Um, obviously played for Western Province back in the days and played, went to Sacks as well in high school. Um, Chris um, Smith, uh, welcome to Madiba's Radio on the Bench Warmer. Oh, cheers, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Cool. Chris, let's go straight straight to it. Um, obviously, um, you joined the Bulls now um, and uh, you've obviously been doing well. Obviously, before that, you were playing for the Pumas. But for the people who don't know you out there, can you, t- can you explain to them a, a bit about yourself? Um, yeah, so, yeah, as I said, uh, Chris Smith um, grew up in Cape Town in the southern suburbs. Um, went to the oldest and proudest school, Stacks, oh. um, just at the bottom of Devil's Peak and uh, Table Mountain. Um, yeah, was at the Western Province Under 19 Institute um, in 2013. Um, then made the move to to Marty's. Um, studied there, finished with a BCom honors. Um, represented Marty's in the Varsity Cup for a good five years. Um, got and then yeah, got the opportunity to play for the Pumas, and yeah, I'm currently at the Bulls. Yeah, as you mentioned, we play for the Bulls now. Um, during the season, um, Jay Quad came into the fold. Um, and then, obviously, um, after a few games, you guys played in the Super Rugby Unlocked channel, cha- Challenge. Um, Dwayne Vermeulen, the captain, did mention that, um, obviously, that um, Jake White brought in a few different um, um, philosophies on how you, you wanted to play. And obviously, it, it was going to take time for, for you guys to adjust to it. How, what impact has he brought into the team? Because, I mean, you guys are doing well. You guys um, won the, vo- as, the Super Rugby Unlocked Challenge. I mean, what, what changed for you guys? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, Jake, Jake is a mastermind. Um, he's coached all over the world. Um, so, his, yeah, his, his, you know, his rugby knowledge for the game is, yeah, you can imagine it's incredible. Um, but I think that, for me, the, the one thing that's, that's, you know, stood out is the fact that he's, you know, he's brought in a lot of new players. We've got a, the Bulls have got a, you know, really good juniors coming through the ranks. And I think to, to get those guys to gel, um, you know, as quickly as he did, is, I think was, has been sort of the recipe for success. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're sitting with, you know, really good Springboks um, and, like I said, really good juniors. But, you know, we've come together. We've got an all-team culture. Um, and, yeah, we're just growing as a team day by day. Mm. So, um, you obviously played for the Mar- you played for Marti- the 19s and you played for Martis. Um, then you went to the Pumas and then now, obviously, with the Bulls. You obviously been basically could be put in a, in a statement whereby you under, you're in the understudy of, of uh, Mornay Stain. I mean, we all know who Mornay Stain is. How how's it been um, playing under him, and what have you learned um, playing with uh, Mornestein, and obviously now Farid Dupre coming to the fold as a consultant for the Bulls. Yeah, I think I'm. Um, you know, obviously you don't always want to be an understudy or you know labeled an understudy, but yeah. I think I'm in a very fortunate position to have Mornestein as a mentor. Um, I think if you look at all the other provinces, yeah, I'm probably really lucky to have someone leading um, like Mornay and leading by example how he does. Um, yeah, he's obviously a Springbok legend. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I think I'd be silly not to, to sponge off of him. So, I mean, I, I watch him daily. I learn from him daily. Mm. Um, yeah, and we've gotten really close and I yeah, really, really loved working with Mornay. Um, and yeah, no, it's been incredible. Mm. Um, obviously, uh, last weekend you played against the pro- played against uh, Western Province, uh, your old, uh, old team back in the days. I mean, for yourself, uh, playing, playing in Cape Town, now playing, playing Pretoria, you could say that it was the last time you could, like, possibly play in in the, at at Newlands. What are your memorable um, um, times for you at Newlands? Um, play, dating back from from days at Sachs, playing for Western Province uh, or Marty's or or so forth. 
Yeah, so I mean, yeah, obviously beating beating province um, at Newlands probably for the last time. I think it's the, the last North South derby mm. um, ever. And having been schooled at Saks, I think yeah, that's probably I think that's definitely you know the latest memory, but it's definitely number one. Um, yeah, I really really enjoyed that one. Um, it was really special. Obviously, we hadn't won there and still hadn't beaten province in 11 years. And the last time that we beat them, Monash Stain actually put over the winning kick. So yeah. to do something um, like that was was pretty incredible. Um, then obviously growing up in the Cape, being schooled at Saks, um, I mean, we used to, you know, when Curry Cup was still a really big thing, we used to sit there in the scholars with a little hot chocolate Milo and, yeah. you know, obviously the kickers would kick the poles and everyone would bunch and, and try to get hold of the ball. So those are one of my, probably one of my earliest memories. Um, then, you know, in the Cape, we have that Newlands Rugby Day. Um, I think representing Saks' first team about mm. that. I think in my grade 11 year, we played Paul Jim um, in my matric year. I think we played Stellenberg. Um, those are really cool. Then you're know, moving on under 19, we had a few games at Newlands, um, which was obviously very special. Always, always nice playing at Newlands. Mm. Um, and then at Marty's, we played, I think, I can't tell you, the, I think it was maybe 2016, we played, um, I'm not too sure which team, but we played in the Super, Super A-League final, which was hosted at Newlands. Yeah. Um, and we won that, which was also, also a really cool memory. So I think you're yeah, sort of reminiscing a bit there. I think those are the ones that, that really yeah. stand out. Yeah, so, uh, Chris, uh, for yourself, um, Obviously, you study as well. How important do you think having a backup plan when things go south? Let's say, for example, get a, a long-term injury whereby you're forced to, to, to quit the game. How important do you think having a, a, a plan B? For, I mean, for yourself as well, you studied, uh, got a degree. How important do you think um, education is or having a backup plan? No, I mean, it's obviously, it's, you know, I think it's very important. Um, like you say, in a, in a rugby career, anything can happen. You can pick up a, a career-ending injury and, you know, you're back to square one. Um, but for me, I think what, was, what I really appreciate about studying while playing rugby was just that balance. Um, you know, not doing rugby full-time, not being, you know, fully, fully dialed in and just rugby, but also getting that broader aspect and obviously educating yourself as you go. Um, and then, you know, in terms of having a backup, um, you know, like, you, I mean, a, a rugby career is short-lived. You, you know, if you've, if you've had a good career, you can probably play for about 15 years. Mm. Um, and I mean, obviously, if you, if you don't invest your money well, you're going to need to, you know, need something to fall back on to, to at least, you know, get through for the to the rest of your life. Um, so, yeah, I think I think probably having gone that journey, um, I'm very grateful to have, have studied and, you know, got the, got the degree behind my name. I can't tell you exactly what I'm going to do with it at this stage, but I do know it's going to come in handy in the future. Yeah. And yeah, very blessed to have a degree, yeah. So, um, f for yourself, um, your f future ambitions, do you consider coming back to, to, to uh, the blue and white hoops down in Cape Town? I don't know, I've got to answer this carefully, eh? Um, mm. No, I mean, at the moment, very, very happy at the Bulls, um, loving the culture, loving the environment, um, loving working with Coach Jake, with Coach Chris, with, with all the coaches there. So, mm. you know, at, at this stage, I... I'm not going to answer you, I'm not going to give you a clear answer, but really, really loving my time at the Bulls and yeah, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else at this moment. Yeah, so t tell us um, for yourself, um, if an opportunity came for you to represent your country or let me say be in the Springbok fold, I mean, what would that mean to you personally? No, I mean, it's obviously you know, it's a classic cliche, but it's everyone's dream to play for the Springbok. Yeah. Um, I think the sort of the journey that I've taken, it's been a very senior roots. Um, you know, it's taken me a good seven years to get where I am now, and to you know to finally get a you know to play a, in a starting role um, at one of the big unions. Um, yeah, it's taken a good seven years. So 
think yeah, for a reward like that to to represent your country would be, I mean, obviously it would be incredible. Um, but yeah, obviously I'm taking day by day, uh, picking the boxes here, and uh, you never know what could happen in the future. But right now I'm just you know trying to enjoy my rugby, trying to learn as much as possible, and just grow as an individual and as a player. Yeah, so, Chris, uh, before our time runs out, last question. For any um, aspiring professional, young uh, professional, uh, wanting to be a professional rugby players, what would you um, advise them or um, a message of motivation for them? I think, yeah, from personal experience, obviously everyone's on their, on their own timeline, on their own clock. Um, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of youngsters expect to make it. You know the next day or to you know to crack into the fold nice and early um but also for me is you know you, you'll never know when your right time is but when it is your time just make sure you're ready um and yeah obviously you know you work hard um you know always give your best and yeah i think if you if you really deserve it you'll you'll receive it uh, uh thanks chris um uh chris thanks for joining us uh, on the madibas radio the bench warmer um continue doing some good work um i see you obviously you broke many hearts here in cape town um, last weekend, um, but you are con- continue doing the, the good work that you do on the field and off the field as well the golf that we see on uh, social media. Um, looking forward to chatting again as in, in the near future when you eventually represent the, the Springboks. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, good to catch up with you, my old friend. And yeah, all the best going forward and we'll definitely chat in the future. 100%. Thanks so much, Chris. All right, that was Chris Smith, former player for Martyrs and the current Bulls Flav. It's funny how we actually played together back in the days and him claiming that Sachs is actually the oldest school in the country um, That while Ann Weinberg is apparently um, the actual oldest school in the country. But I mean, that's a story for another day. Um, so if you, today, if you enjoyed today's show, uh, remember we will be back same time next week between 5 and 6 on Madiba's radio, the best youth station in the Bay. So Gorgs signing out.